We're going to be talking about being authentic, authentic, seven habits of highly hypocritical people. I know you guys are like, oh boy, yay, yay. Pastor Farrell walked all over my toes already. My toes are already flat from that walk in the spirit message, right? And you're going to come and keep them flat. Well, yeah, I am. We're going to talk about authenticity this morning and uh, really what's its polar opposite, which is hypocrisy, hypocrisy. And uh, hypocrites are what? The people like that are always wearing a mask. Um, they are, uh, they act like they're something that they're not. They act like they're something that they're not. And so we're going to deal with this uh, head on. One of the things we hear uh, over and over again is from our first time guests. Do we have any first time guests this morning? Give it up for them. Awesome. One thing I, uh, I neglected to mention there, uh, if you are a first-time guest, take your Connect card and bring it out to the VIP tent after the service. We've got a gift for you. Make sure you do that. But one thing we hear from our first-time guests over and over again is that our owners, we don't have members here, we have owners, and I'll talk to you more about that afterwards if you like. Uh, we, one, one of the things that we hear from these people, the first-time guests is that our owners are authentic. We're authentic people here at the bridge, right? We're not afraid to say, yeah, I'm jacked up, but you know what? I've got Jesus in my life, so it's cool, right? Okay? So uh, we're talking about being authentic this morning. So let me just say this now. Let me just get this out of the way. This message wrecked me, wrecked me. Some of you, actually, I had one person ask me this morning. They were kind of concerned. I posted on Facebook earlier in the week that the message was just jacking me up. It was really messing me up because God was getting up in my cereal bowl, right? You know, God gets in your cornflakes sometimes, all up in your face, right? And so I was getting jacked, and I put it out there on Facebook. She came up to me, and she said, are you okay? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. But, but really, God thoroughly dealt with me in this message, okay? So we are all in the same boat. We are all in the same boat. I just happen to be the one that is delivering this to you guys, okay? So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. I didn't ask the media team to make up slides with all the scriptures, so uh, just read over somebody's shoulder if you don't have uh, your Bible, or take out your phone and pretend it's on there if you want to. I have it on my phone. I'm just stealing one of Pastor Farrell's jokes. Uh, So the language, Matthew 23, the language that Jesus uses in this part of scripture, it's actually unparalleled. This language is unparalleled in all of the words that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. This is unparalleled in all of the words that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. So let's jump right in. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That means they have the authority that Moses had, okay? So do observe, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. A phylactery, um, for those of you that don't know, a phylactery, it it was like a box that they would decorate, and they put scripture, passages of scripture in there, and they'd tie a ribbon to it and tie it on their head. So they'd walk around with this, like, decorated box on their forehead, okay? And it was like, I'm so into the Bible, or so into Scripture, I'm so into it that I wear it on my head. 
I wear it on my head for everybody to see, okay? So they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And, no man call, and, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And you remember, Jesus is saying this to the crowds and to the disciples. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they're listening in to what he's saying. They're listening in, and they're sitting there, and they're listening, and they're going like this. Did you just hear what he said? Did you, are you listening to this guy? Their mouths are falling open as they're listening, okay? So Jesus then turns his attention to them, and he uses the strongest language of denunciation. Denunciation is like public condemnation, okay? And he uses the strongest language of denunciation in the entire New Testament to address this subject of hypocrisy. So at the beginning of verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And this word woe there is not just a word. It's, it's a heart cry. It's a heart cry of anger and pain and denunciation. If you read that and you, and you have this realization, this understanding, you can hear the brokenheartedness of Jesus in this, even though he's pronouncing judgment. It's an expression of grief and despair. It's, it's, it comes from the lips of Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And he's not, he's not uh, uh, wishing judgment on the hypocrites. He's proclaiming judgment on them. All right? He's certifying it. He's, cert- he's putting the rubber stamp on this judgment of these hypocrites. And he's setting the wheels of judgment in, in motion. So, if you're taking notes or uh, if you want to, you can write this in your Bible. I don't know if you knew that. You can actually write in your Bible. It's cool. It's okay to do that. You can highlight it if you want to. It's all right. Mark it up. Some of the best Bibles I've ever seen are all like shredded and stuff hanging out of them, marks in the margin all over the place. It's awesome. They're well used. Next to the word woe in verse 13, write this down. How greatly you will suffer. How greatly you will suffer. That's what that word woe means there. So when Jesus says this for the first time in uh, this passage, woe to you, woe to you, you can't say, woe to you. Whoa, woe's coming, it's bad things, greatly you suffer. No, it's woe to you, woe to you. They were the most religious people of their day. They were the Bible-carrying believers of their day. Remember, they wore it on their head, okay? They were the most into it of anyone. And if you consider yourself to be someone that's, that's into it like I do, then this message is more for you than anyone else, okay? 
We have to check ourselves against this standard. These were fanatical people, fanatical. I go on all day, all day about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I think of Pastor Farrell every time I read that word. They're sad, you see. Right? Every time I think about it. I go on all day about them, the, uh, the scribes, right? But that would be, I think, a distraction from the application of the message, which is not to learn how hypocritical the, the, the people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders of Jesus' day were, but to get in front of a mirror and examine ourselves, right? And again, let me remind you, God, God's Spirit has thoroughly worked me over in the preparation of this message and now again in the speaking of this message. God is thoroughly working me over. It's, uh, it's caused me to search my own heart for gaps between what I say I do and what I actually do. And I'd encourage you to do the same. So, Jesus says in verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And that word hypocrite actually came from the theater. The theater. The theater. Do we have those uh, the masks you can show? Put that mask slide up there. They, uh, people would put on masks back in the day. There they are, the comedy tragedy masks. And, uh, and they would hide their true selves. And the word hypocrite describes someone who had a theatrical goodness. Not a genuine goodness a theatrical goodness, right? We see that in Hollywood all the time. An actor portrays a good and loving father, a caring husband, and then in real life, he's on wife number six, right? And he's got a trail of baby mamas behind him, right? They can play the part. They can act the part. They're not truly that. They're not truly that thing that they're portraying. It's that understanding that birthed the word hypocrite, one who pretends to be what he isn't. So as a Christian, what this means is assuming a position of piety, of holiness, of godliness, right? When in reality, you are destitute of genuine faith. Everybody with me? Nobody's gotten up and left yet. I said yet. As a Christian, um, so we go through these scriptures and we, uh, I want to encourage you to ask yourself two questions. Two questions. Am I like that? Do I do that? Write them down if you've taken notes. Am I like that? Do I do that? So, and let me just say as a word of encouragement, the, the person who is here that's able to locate areas of hypocrisy in their life and in their heart, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for you to be able to locate areas of hypocrisy in your Christian walk. It's, that's a good thing to be able to do. The, pe- the person I'm concerned about, the person I'm concerned about is the person who can listen to this whole message and not locate a single thing about themselves that needs to change. That's the person I'm concerned about. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you haven't arrived. None of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. All right, I, don't, I saw somebody like, really like, you having a, seriously, dude. <laughs> uh, easy, easy, easy. We're going to get to that in a minute. One of the characteristics of the Pharisees was that they were blind. 
They were completely blind, just like them, just like them. We are blind to our own shortcomings. We're blind to our own shortcomings. And that's why we have the Word of God. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about authenticity this morning. You can't be authentic without going through a refining process. You have to go through the refining process in order to become truly authentic. So can you handle it? Should I give a couple minutes for people to get up and leave? It's cool. I'd rather have you do it now. All right. Here it comes. God help me. Hear the word of God. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven. This is the idea of salvation, entrance into heaven, okay? Entrance into God's family. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So point number one, seven habits of highly hypocritical people. Number one is making salvation as complicated as possible. Making salvation as complicated. People who add layers to the process of salvation that have nothing to do with the Word of God. Nothing. Salvation is simple. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's simple. It's simple. But what? It's not easy. It costs everything. It costs everything. It's simple, but it's not easy. Jesus said it's so simple that a child can get it. A child can figure it out. Some of you dropped off kids at Bridge Kids this morning. They're getting it. They're figuring it out, okay? The gospel is simple. The gospel is simple. Hypocrites make it complicated. You got to do all these things. You got to follow these steps. You got to go through all these various uh, mechanisms. And you better come to church a certain number of times a week. And you got to do all these things. And what they're doing is they're leveraging people into religion and out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The power of the simplicity of the gospel. Paul said to the Corinthians, I pray that your mind will not be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. i tell you a quick story. There's a guy in our church. I call him a guy because he's like a 37-year-old person in an 11-year-old body. Uh, he's an 11-year-old awesome man of God. His name is John. He serves over at the Bridge Goldsboro. And uh, man, I, I go in and I say, what's up, John? And he said, not a whole lot. How about you? How are you today? He's just like so awesome. I love him. And he's 11. Okay. So he goes to his dad visiting to the hospital. And uh, on the way, he says to his dad, hey, dad, I'm going to share the gospel with somebody today. This is an 11 year old now. Okay. So he goes into the room and there's, there's a shared room there. And there's two ladies lying in the bed. He goes up to the first woman, and, and he's talking to her and kind of ministering to her. And, uh, and he says, you know, ma'am, if you died today, do you know where you would go? And she said, actually, I do. I do. I'm saved. I know exactly where I'm going when I die. But I don't think my roommate does. And so John finished, you know, uh, talking with her and ministering to her, and he, and he got up and he walked over to the other, other bed in the room. And now this woman had a medical condition. She couldn't talk. She couldn't speak, but she was conscious and alert and aware. And so John just went over and held her hand and ministered to her, and he shared the gospel with her. 
And she, when, when the point came where he said, would you like to, uh, to open your heart and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, she nodded to him. She nodded to him. And so it's simple. He didn't say, get up out of your bed and come down to church three or four times a week and then we'll talk. Right? He, it's simple. I love that. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. That's what sincere, authentic people do. That's what we do at the bridge. We reach out to people who are hurting, and we offer them the healing that Christ has. It's not you got to do 87 things. It's uh, this whole list of things you've got to accomplish in order to be prepared to receive. So, No, it's awful when it's like that. It's simple. Keeping it simple. Here's the second thing. Getting what I need from people, even if it hurts them. Getting what I need from people, even if it hurts them. So remember the two questions. Do I do this? Am I like that? Right? Am I like this? The idea with this one is I have to have this. I have to have it. I don't care what it does to you or to other people. I have to have it. You begin to make withdrawals from people, withdrawals from people, even though what you're doing is injuring to them. That's the essence of hypocrisy. There's no genuine faith there, none. There's no sincere Christianity in wounding someone else to get what I want. Even if you think about someone you love that is not walking with the Lord right now, even if you think about that, if you press them about their relationship with God to the point that you injure them, that's hypocrisy. I heard one preacher say, you know, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it for someone else. It's God's work. Everyone say this. It's God's work. It's God's work. We don't bring the Holy Spirit to people. We meet the Holy Spirit there. We're not more powerful than the Holy Spirit, people. When you start to demand something from someone for your own sake and your own comfort, and you're not brokenhearted for them about what they're missing in the Lord, that's religious hypocrisy. That's not sincere Christianity. Jesus addresses it head on here. Let's look at verse 14. Some of your Bibles have Matthew 23, verse 14. Some of them have it in brackets. Some of you have verse 14 as a footnote. Some of you might actually have it in there. Uh, NIV has it as a margin note. ESV has it in there, I think, as well. Some Bibles go straight from verse 13 to 15. I remember when I first saw that, I was like, dude, what's, where's 14? That, I'm a little OCD, so that kind of jacked me up some. And I was like, what's the deal? It's like no 13th floor in a building. Messes me up. Look up here, for those of you that are now scrolling through your Bible trying to figure out where verse 14 went. There's only a few of these in all of the New Testament. This is what's called a textual variant. It's a textual variant, okay? And there's debate. Listen, there's more manuscript evidence 
for the authenticity of the New Testament than almost all other ancient manuscripts and literature combined, okay? What's really at question here, this textual variant, is whether or not Matthew actually wrote it. If you go to Mark 12:40 and Luke 20:47, you see that Jesus said these things. The question here is whether or not Matthew actually wrote it, okay? So, verse 14 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, and therefore you will receive greater condemnation. The idea of devouring widows' houses, we have a, um, we have a biblical responsibility to minister to widows. You know that as a church? And uh, not just widows, but all of those who are in great need, who are under-resourced, we have a responsibility as a church to minister to those people. Look at your neighbor and say, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility as a church to take care of people in need, and we try to do that as effectively as we can at the bridge. That's what the giving, part of the Giving Life Fund is. Once a month, you give to the living, Giving Life Fund above your tithes that you give faithfully. And that part of that giving life fund goes to what we call bread of life or benevolence, and it's to help widows and, and under-resourced people. But hypocrites, they don't care about that. They don't care about that. The, the picture here is to um, somebody that would go to a widow's house and try to sell her something she didn't need for his own personal gain. He doesn't care about that person. It's the same person that says long prayers for pretense, right? Not because they're trying to really speak to God from their heart, but they're trying to impress the people around them with 50-cent words, right? Look at how magnificently I can pray and connect with God. And it's not authentic at all. It then says, therefore you will receive the greater condemnation. These are, these are really strong words from Jesus. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's a convert. A convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, when you've won them, when you've won them over to your way, he, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. People become like their teachers. Right? People become like, spiritual leaders, they're not perfect people, but they better be sincere. They better be sincere. They better be people who are really talking about what they're, really about what they're talking about. Because the followers become what? Like their leaders. They become like their leaders. That's why scripture talks about don't become, uh, don't be many teachers. Don't be many teachers. Because if you're a teacher of the scripture, you don't, and you don't, there's greater condemnation if you don't exemplify the things that you teach, okay? So the picture here is a, um, is a person who is such a bad example of sincere faith that their followers become just as bad a hypocrite as they are. Remember, when you, when you win a person, when you win a person, whatever you might be trying to win them over to, all you're doing is guaranteeing that that person's going to go where you're going. So you better know where you're going. 
I thought about, as I was working through this, I thought about how uh, I've led people and I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes as I've led those people. And uh, I had poor judgment in some areas, you know, and I wish I could go back and do those things differently. You know, but I'm not talking about an employer or a, um, a leader in a family who had to make a hard decision and it didn't work out the way they thought. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about people who are laying awake at night and grieving over the impact of their imperfection of human relationships. It's not talking about that. I'm talking about people who don't give a rip. I'm talking about people who don't give a rip about others. People who have this trail of bodies behind them. This wreckage they leave behind. Callous indifference about their conduct and how it affects everyone in their life. A father who's going to roll over his wife and his children to get what he wants. Parents. Parents who, who hold on to their children so tightly and they force those kids into a box for their own security. It's what we have to look at in our own lives. And we're indifferent to the impact our conduct has on others. First John, it says that to say we love God and to not love others makes us a liar. And to be indifferent to the impact our conduct has on others is to be a hypocrite. Ruthless in the marketplace, vindictive in the neighborhood, self-serving and demanding at church. Take, take, take. I've, I've unfortunately encountered a few takers over the years, as I'm sure some of you have. People for whom everything was great, everything's going awesome, my life is great, until they don't get what they want. We love you, Pastor Farrell. We love the bridge. We love, we love, we love, until somebody said, they had to say, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. No, I'm sorry, you can't. We don't do that. I can't have what I want. I can't have what I deserve. I can't have what I demand. Well, forget you then. I'm going to go find another church that will give me what I want. Don't be that person. Don't be that guy, all right? Don't be that person that for, for whom everything is going great. Yeah, I love the Lord. Love, love him. Praise God, brother. Until they don't get what they want. And then the hypocrisy in their heart is revealed. Number three, squirming my way out of any promise I don't want to keep. I make a promise, but then I don't keep it. Number three, woe to you, blind guys. Okay, and, and blindness here, again, we're talking about you can't see it for yourself. You can't see it. You can't see your own hypocrisy. So we're talking about here this morning is taking that mirror and, and looking in the mirror and letting God examine your heart, okay? Am I like that? Do I do that? All right? Verse 16. Woe to you, blind gods, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. See what they're doing there? What they're doing is like, uh, it would be if, if somebody came up and said, yeah, I'll give you that $20 bill on Thursday. I swear by the temple. And then Thursday comes around and you're like, what up? Where's my 20? 
And the guy looks at you and says, oh, I only swore by the temple. I didn't swear by the gold in the temple. Really? Really? The sixth grade called. They want their ridiculous discussions back. (laughs) Seriously. Jesus says, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? They had people who were saying, I'll promise to do this. I'm swearing. And, and swearing is, uh, of course, the idea. It's not cursing. It's the idea of an oath. You, know, you put your ha- right hand on the Bible and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Not that I have any personal experience with that, but <laughs> some of you might. It's okay. You're giving a promise. You're making a commitment. It's like a verbal contract, okay? Some of them were swearing by the altar. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. I didn't say the gift. I only said the altar. Really? Seriously? Verse 19, you blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whomever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. If you give your word, keep it. If you make a promise, follow through on that promise. Men, listen to me. You're like, oh boy, here it comes. Yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. You make a promise to your wife, and I don't care if we're talking about starting a retirement account or changing a light bulb. You make a promise to your wife, keep it. And by the way, if you have a wife, remember the promise you made on, your, on the altar in front of her and the crowd of witnesses. Oh, and by the way, God, you made a covenant vow that day. You made a promise that day to love, honor, cherish, sickness, health, until death. Not death of the relationship. Until death. I've been through a relationship that's dead and then been resurrected. God can do it. I'm not saying he'll do it in every circumstance, but I'm telling you, if you will stick by God's faithfulness, he will be faithful to you. We are called as husbands and wives to do what God expects us to do and has designed us to do as husbands, wives, Fathers, mothers, men, women, we're expected to do those things regardless of what's going on around us. Regardless of what's going on around us. Do the things you say you'll do. Stop kidding yourself about being a sincere Christian if you can't keep your word. Nothing should be as painful to you as breaking your word. Nothing. You tell your children you do something, do it. I I was reading about John Lennon from the Beatles. 
I shared that last night, John Lennon from the Beatles, and some of the guys in the audience, you know, they're about 20 years old or whatever they're going. I'm like, really? Come on. It's not that obscure. John Lennon from the Beatles. Here's what his son, Julian Lennon, said about his father. With all his sentiment, you know, John Lennon was all about give peace a chance and, you know, let's hold hands and peace and love. Here's what his son said. I felt he was a hypocrite. Dad could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he could never show it to the people who supposedly meant the most to him. His wife and his son. How can you talk about peace and sing about love and have a family in bits and pieces? No communication, adultery, divorce. You can't do it. Not if you're being true and honest with yourself. The hypocrite's the person who's content for the world to view them as something that they know in their heart they're not. And the family suffers and their friends suffer because the public persona doesn't line up who, with who they are privately. We need to long for people and for our children to tell us that we're the same privately as we are publicly, as we are in church. Ow. I don't know if you noticed, I just stepped on my own toes there. It hurts. Am I like that? Do I do that? Squirming my way out of any promise I don't want to keep. Here's the fourth thing. Making a big deal of little things and ignoring things of critical importance. Taking some things and just blowing them up. Blowing them up. Some things you're so worked up about. And then other things you're like, whatever. Doesn't bother my conscience at all. I don't don't really care. Verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. And of course, these are garden spices, right? Mint, dill, cumin. Put your hand up if you know what tithing is. Tithing. Okay. I didn't say if you tithe. That's not what I said. I just if you know what it is, that's all I'm asking. Okay. Tithing is giving 10% of your income income off the top, right, to God. We believe in tithing here at the bridge very strongly. Matter of fact, Pastor Farrell is going to be talking about generosity in his next series. And uh, it has to, I think it's it's called uh, Plastic Donuts. And I was immediately intrigued. (laughs) Donuts, I mean... Hoping maybe they're going to have donuts on the seats for us or something. That'd be great. Some of you guys are really excited about that word, donut. Going to be here. All right, back to the spices. Back to the spices. In the Old Testament, much of what changed hands, it wasn't really currency, right? Now we give money and we get a thing or a service, okay? They would give uh, commodities, they would trade commodities. So, you know, if you, if you had like an apple orchard, say, okay? When you, when you harvested the crop of apples, you'd take 10% of your harvest before you went and sold any of it, and you would bring it to the church, and you would say, here's some apples, use them as you will, you know, whatever, okay? And they'd use them in worship for the priests or whatever. If you had livestock, you'd bring a tenth of a cow, right? <laughs> you wouldn't really bring a tenth of a cow, 
You, you bring a tenth of what you made from selling the cow or the goat or whatever. Okay? That's Old Testament. They're really messy with the... Never mind. The Bible never made any provision for the little herb garden that you have on your windowsill, right? Okay? And what you should tithe from that little herb garden. And, th- and what's happening here is these, these people are so super spiritual, they're picking their parsley and they're going... One leaf for me, nine leaves, or one leaf for God, nine leaves for me. One leaf for God, nine leaves, on their parsley stalks, okay? I'm so godly, I'm tithing on my parsley. So godly, so godly. It's pathetic. Scriptures don't even call for that, okay? You pay attention to these Little, tiny, minor things, but ignore the massive things of importance. It's ridiculous. Things that matter most. We don't have to wonder what they are. Jesus tells us. If you look at, uh, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Okay, this, this is, makes me think of uh, Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. When Christ says justice here, he's talking about doing what's right. Some of you are facing a big decision this week, maybe. Okay? And you've prayed about it. I haven't heard a word from God. I don't know what to do. How about this? Do what's right. Stop praying about it and just do what's right. I don't mean don't pray, but I see these people that are locked in this place of like, I'm going to pray until I receive a holy word from God. No, pray, give it to God, and then do what's right. You'll never go wrong doing what's right, and you'll never be right doing what's wrong. Justice. Then notice mercy. Mercy. Go a little easier on people. Okay. Yeah, but what that person did to me, that's not right. Yeah, 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 I know. I know it's not right. I understand that. But the Bible says in James 2.13, judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Ow. As God dealt with me through this message, I looked back and I show, saw where I was shown mercy. And man, time and time again I was shown mercy. And I need to do that more, especially when I'm behind the wheel of a car. Can I get an amen for that? Ah, yeah. Whew. I swear I have to pray for it more often than than any other time. (sighs) Show mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment day, James says. Okay, so justice, mercy, and then what's the last one? Faithfulness. Just keep going. Don't let anything stop you, right? I talked about them before, the people that are standing for their marriages, even though all of the circumstances around them say that their marriages are dead. When you will stand, and I'm not saying your marriage isn't going to end. It might. But if you will stand firm on the word of God and honor him in your thoughts and your words and your actions during that trial, he will be faithful to you. He will be faithful to you. You are going through a refining process in the trials of your life that will bring you to a level of authenticity that otherwise 
you would be unable to obtain. That refining process is going to bring you to a level of authenticity that otherwise you wouldn't have. That's sincere, authentic faith. Faithfulness. Remain faithful to God. And if you're listening to me right now and you're thinking, boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. Or maybe you're sitting back a little ways and you're burning two little holes in the back of someone's head saying, listen, receive the word of God. You're missing the point. Point to who this is for. Point to me. I mean, don't point at me. Point at yourself. (laughs) This is for me. This is for me. That's where it has to start. Claiming to love God in these little details, you know? Focusing on the micro rather than the macro. I learned four new scriptures this week. I tithed on the $37 I made at the yard sale. Great. That's great. Move your yard sale. If you only made $37, your location is bad. Okay? But <laughs> listen, do you love, that's great that you're doing those things, but do you love people? Are you loving people? Verse 24, what a picture this paints. You blind guide straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, if you're a chef or uh, someone who cooks, help me out here, okay? If you're straining something, putting, what's that thing? Strainer, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Colander, thank you. I got strainer. I had that figured out, okay? The fancier word, the colander, all right? They had these colanders back then. So you picture yourself in the Middle East, and they have windows, but they're not really windows the way we think of them. They're holes in the wall, Okay? And so they're not in this hermetically sealed environment like we have in some of our houses now, okay, where nothing can get in unless we grant it entrance, all right? And so back then, it was entirely plausible that as you were preparing a meal, something might get into your baba ganoush, and it was, like, unhealthy for your family. You don't want anything bad to happen to your family, so you put it through this colander, right, and you strain out impurities and make sure that it's pure for your family. And so as you're doing that, you see this little gnat in there. And you're going, wow, that's, I don't want anything bad to happen to my family. I better get that gnat out of that. And laying next to the gnat in the middle of the colander is a camel. <laughs> They're nasty. Is that my illustration? No, that's Christ's illustration. That's Christ's illustration. This is what hypocrisy is like, okay? You're so determined to be pure in all of the aspects of matter A, and you're completely oblivious to matter B. Completely oblivious. Making a big deal of little things and ignoring things of critical importance. We do this in parenting. We do it at work. We do this in our walk with God. We do it in our relationships. Number five, number five, exhibiting laziness in all matters of the heart. All matters of the heart, anything that has to do with my soul or my faith, laziness in matters of the heart. Not willing to extend the energy required in the things that matter most. Let the word of God speak to you. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. 
You see this guy? Right? I'm about to take a drink, and I, boy, I better get that thing polished up on the outside. I want people to think I'm drinking out of a clean, pure container, make it shine and see my face in it. And inside, it's filthy, and it's rancid, and it's filled with stench, and you drink it down, oblivious to the filth that you're consuming because it looks pretty on the outside. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Greed and self-indulgence together are a bad thing. They're a bad thing. Greed means I can't ever get enough. I can never be satiated. I can never be satisfied. I've always got to have more. I've always got to have more. And self-indulgence is when you've got what you've got through being greedy, and it's never enough. It's never enough. I've got to drink it all down. I've got to consume it all, and I'm not going to set any aside for a rainy day. Man, we are right on the edge. We are just keeping our head above water. I am spending my whole paycheck and a little bit more to keep the appearance of the life that I'm leading. The problem with being up to your neck in water is that it only takes an inch to drown you right on the edge, right on the edge. You blind Pharisee, verse 26, first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside also may be clean. Do we have any Indiana Jones fans out there? Indiana Jones? Dude, he's the man. Come on, help me out. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, it was the third movie. Don't even pay attention to the fourth movie. It doesn't even count. It's terrible. (laughs) The third movie, right, with, with uh, Sean Connery, they're after the Holy Grail, and they go into the room, and there's that knight in there who's like, you know, 3,000 years old or whatever he is, and he's got to pick out the right Holy Grail, the actual cup of Christ. He's got to pick it out. And there's all these different cups, all different shapes, all different sizes. Some are really heavily decorated, some not. But he picks up this one cup, remember? It was wood, and it was like crooked and rough on the outside. But when you saw the inside of that cup, it was beautiful. It was pure gold on the inside, glowing beauty on the inside, rough and gnarly on the outside, but the cup of a carpenter, but beautiful on the inside. Here's a hard sentence. Here's a hard sentence. You are, I am, we are, who we are when no one can see us. That's the true you. When no one will see, when no one will know, all of us, we optimize our appearance. And who you choose to be in that moment when no one will see and no one will know, that's who you really are. That's who you really are. And if I don't know, I don't know what else could be more convicting. That convicts me every time I, I think about it. If you're thinking, why do we have to do a message like this on Labor Day weekend? Can't we have some more football references or something? You know? I've got hot dogs on the brain. I've got steak and long, I don't have to work on Monday. Sweet, you know? I don't want to think about this stuff right now. Laziness. Laziness. You're exhibiting laziness in matters of the heart. I don't want to do the work, man. Laziness. Two more, really quickly. Looking good to others, no matter what the cost. I'm going to look good, brother. 
I'm going to look like I've got it going on. I'm going to carry it and show it. I don't care what it costs. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. I haven't visited Israel, but uh, I hope to one day uh, before the Lord returns, and it would be really cool to check that out. But if you go up on the Mount of um, Olives and you look down, it's just apparently a big cemetery below you. And what they used to do is that when Passover was coming, they would whitewash everything. You know, if there was like the weather had tarnished something or like, you know, there's a bird that really liked that one tomb and marked it all up, you know, they would clean it and they'd, they'd whitewash everything. And it was said that, that Jerusalem gleamed at the time of Passover. It gleamed in the sunlight. What the whitewash didn't change was that the tombs were filled with rotting corpses, And so this would be familiar to them. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you outwardly also appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And hypocrisy, of course, is the saying of one thing and the doing of another. Lawlessness is a disregard. It's a disregard. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to do it. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Outside looking good. How many times do we come to church and we don't have a hair out of place and our shirt is all ironed and there's no stains on it and we are looking good? But on the inside, we haven't spent one moment preparing our heart to receive the word of God that he has for us. You would not come in here in your pajamas, right, and your big bear claw slippers, gunk in the corner of your eye, hair all bleh, bedhead, right? You wouldn't think of doing that. But we come here and our hearts are in that condition, unkempt and unprepared, looking good to others no matter what the cost. What bothers you more, someone seeing your children misbehave or God seeing your disobedience? What bothers you more, a spot on your shirt or a stain on your dress or a lump in your heart? What bothers you more, three weeks without a compliment or three weeks without the affirmation of God's spirit in your private time with him? Last habit of highly hypocritical people. Pretending to be better than others no matter what the evidence. Pretending to be better than others no matter what the evidence. Look at verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. He's referring to the prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Joel, Amos, Elbadiah. It's an awesome baseball team right there. Sorry. The prophets known to us through Scripture, they would take and they, they, they would decorate their tombs, which was a practice that is not affirmed in the Scripture, by the way. They'd come and they'd have these religious ceremonies at the graveside of the departed people, the departed, uh, departed prophets. And it, it was really more paganism than big biblical Christianity. Paganism. 
That's what we're talking about. This is the part Jesus addresses. For you build the tombs of the prophets, and you decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Some of these prophets, their, their fathers killed them. Right? And so they would stand in the tomb of the prophet and say, if we had been living in their day, we wouldn't have done these things. We wouldn't have shed blood. We're better than them. Blind. Just blind. These are the very same people that in a matter of days are going to scream until they're hoarse for the murder of Jesus Christ. Murder. Verse 31, thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of, the mur- of those who murder the prophets. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You're just like your fathers were. Verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers. He's saying your fathers were murderers and you're about to murder me. So do it. Let's go. I'm ready. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? A lifetime of unrepentant hypocrisy is indicative of a person who has never truly been born again. If God's Spirit is provoking conviction in you through this message, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, okay? If all you're doing is thinking about others and marveling at what a fine, fine Christian you are because none of this applies to you, that's a problem. He goes on, verse 34, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Makes me think of pastors and teachers who have been rejected by church people, because those church people don't want to hear the truth. Verse 35, so that on, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And I can just see them, the scribes and the Pharisees, going, how does he Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Listen, in closing, look at the Lord's heart in the matter. If you think Jesus is standing over you and saying, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, you don't understand. You don't understand. Verse 37, and just listen to his heart cry here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. And you were unwilling. Stubbornness of the heart. That's stubbornness of the heart. And then he says the most ominous words. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Desolate. You are reaping what you've sown. You receive the spiritual condition that your hypocrisy produces. Bridge is a church that's going to teach you and help you grow spiritually, and and there's plenty of opportunities, plenty of opportunities for you to do that. But let's stop in the crisis moment here for a second, okay? That this message, I hope, has produced in you the way it's produced in me. 
Do I need to adjust my authenticity? Do you? Let's take a moment and just bow our heads and pray with me. Pray with me. And let's take a look into our own hearts. Not the person next to you. Not your sister, your brother, that person you're thinking. Look into your own hearts as we pray. Father, I pray in this moment you would grant to your children a genuine release from any burden they might have for someone else to hear this message. Even if they're burdened for someone that's in the row next to them or someone that's sitting in front of them or someone that's sitting beside them. God, release them from that burden. Give us by your spirit great freedom to look inside our own hearts at our own hypocrisy. God, how quick I am to judge others, to take up offense, to mount that horse of self-righteousness, demanding others do that I, what I don't demand of myself, God. Just ask the Lord, am I hypocritical? Am I hypocritical? A better question might be to ask God, God, where am I hypocritical? Where am I hypocritical? What is it about me that is hypocrisy? I pray, I pray that as the Spirit of God pricks your heart in these areas as he's moving you confess to him you're right God you're right I'm wrong I want to be authentic I want to be sincere I want to be genuine with nothing else mixed in I want to be the real deal show me God as Annie sang about your true holiness. God, what do I know of holiness? What do I know of holy? Where was I when you told the mountains to be this tall and you told the ocean to stop right there? Where was I? God, what do I know of holy? What could I possibly know of holiness without you and unless you show it to me. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.